Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Blue Devils podcast. J.J. Jackson here with you. Follow our show on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. We've got a really fun show planned for you today. My very good friend Drew Carter from the ACC Network and ESPN will be stopping by to join us. Make sure you follow and subscribe on YouTube. We appreciate you doing that, watching the show daily, each and every day, and on your podcast platform of choice. If you would leave us a five-star rating and review, that means a whole lot when you take the time to do that. If you're watching us, I now want to welcome in my good buddy, Drew Carter from ESPN and the ACC Network. It's been a long time coming for this appearance to take place. (laughs) And uh, Drew, what an absolute pleasure it is to have you join the production that is Locked on Blue Devils. So great to be here, JJ. Thank you for having me. As you said, you know, we've known each other for years. It uh, feels like I'm calling into Sports Call AU right now, and you're going to play some bump music that would really be in my wheelhouse. But it's good to be back. Always love joining you. Let's talk some Blue Devils. Let's do it, man. I'm so excited to have you on the show and to kind of see what you've been up to. Here you are. You're about a year or so in, coming up on the one year anniversary of working with. ESPN and the ACC Network and, and what great timing for you, right? ACC Network, this new venture that's getting started and you jumping into your professional career. You've got the Syracuse ties, so you've been in the ACC picture uh, for a long time coming. But, uh, man, you talk Duke athletics. It's certainly been a part of your life. Growing up in Minnesota even, like you were always aware of Duke basketball's existence, certainly. Yeah, no doubt. I was actually a Duke fan for a little bit of my childhood. Um, and then I was I saw the light, you might say, when I uh, thought about going to college. Now, I mean, obviously, I should pander a little bit more because this is a Blue Devils podcast. So let me just say I went over to the dark side when I went to a different ACC school. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to like Duke as a kid because you look at Coach K and uh, he's a stand up guy um, and. My, my buddy Tyler Rocky would tend to disagree. I think there, there's been a lot of Coach K backlash over the last few years, especially with the retirement tour. But growing up, you see Coach K, and it's like, here's a dude uh, who was in the military, coached at West Point. I loved him personally because my dad went to West Point. He played football there. He was actually cut by Coach K on the basketball team when Mike Krzyzewski was at West Point. Wow. Cut my dad. Um, who was six seven at the time? Now six six, maybe six five. He's he's on the downturn when it comes to height. But he cut my dad. Uh, but despite that, we always really loved Coach K and respected him. And uh, Dean Taylor, the athletic trainer for the Duke basketball team, was a classmate of my dad's at West Point. So all that kind of came together for me to sort of be a, a quasi fringe Duke fan growing up in Minnesota. When I went to Syracuse, joined the ACC fray. I started to hate Duke like everyone in the ACC does, because especially for a school like Syracuse, which is kind of rudderless when it comes to a rival, we've got those old Big East rivals, Georgetown specifically, but also Boston College and St. John's. You think about Requiem for the Big East. Those were Syracuse's biggest rivals. You go to the ACC, you're kind of looking for a new one, and everyone has sort of settled on Duke, I think, because Duke is like the Death Star. And the whole world, especially in the ACC, revolves around Duke. So, yes, I have been hyper cognizant of Duke for my entire life, whether I was in Minnesota or Syracuse or obviously now with ESPN. 
who knows how many days at this point we've been friends, but whatever that number is, I'm upset to know that I'm just now learning of your, I mean, that is personal connections yeah. in the Carter family to the Krzyzewski. I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. I know. But it could go the other way, right? I could hate Duke because Coach right, K got true. my dad, right? But, <laughs> but no, I think my dad, He at that point, he had come to terms with the fact that he wasn't going to be playing in the NBA. Uh, so he was okay getting cut by Coach K. It's a good story. And you said more of a football guy anyway, right? Yeah, he played right tackle for West Point, which was a better fit for him. He was the, the master of the lookout block, as he says, which is where <laughs> your guy toasts you off the line of scrimmage and you yell, look out, to the quarterback. <laughs> he was pretty good at that one. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> I like that. So, uh, And then I, I like the idea, though, of Syracuse kind of looking for that new rival. And, and we had the, the Coach K and Jim Beheim, so many matchups, the friendship that they have. At Coach K, 42 years on the job, and to know that Bayheim's been doing it a little bit longer at that school and set to do it for another year at Syracuse is just kind of wild to think about. But um, it is a little sad knowing that we have seen the last of uh, that Coach K and, and Bayheim rivalry going back and forth. We saw it one final time in the ACC tournament in a very uncompetitive basketball game as much as Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim were trying to keep them in it. But, uh, yeah, those were – I mean, we'll think back on those basketball games for quite some time, I'm sure. Yeah, it's one of the best coaching rivalries, I think, in, in recent college hoops history, uh, especially when you consider the friendship of those two with their USA basketball ties and I think the mutual respect. You know, Jim Beheim is a guy who I think doesn't respect many people. I think that would be fair to say. Uh, certainly not in our line of work, J.J., in the media – Bayheim is, you know, a crusty guy, and a lot of people have their own opinions about him, just like they do about Coach K. But, you know, they're different characters uh, who I think they are such legends in their own right. It would be fair for them to kind of look down at basically everyone else in the profession aside from each other, right? And, and guys like Roy Williams and Jay Wright. But, I mean, we're talking elite of the elite. And for Bayheim, I think there are very few people where he could look at them and say, Here's a guy who's put in the same kind of sweat equity, uh, the same kind of time, and has had the same kind of success as I have. Um, and I think that's one reason why the Coach K. Beheim friendship has been so deep. And, you know, I don't know, frankly, how many friends Jim Beheim has in, in the coaching industry, but Coach K. is definitely one of them. And, and their battles were awesome, man. Like, Duke fans can say what they want about Syracuse not being a rival um, because – you know, Duke has a hundred rivals that would be the same level as Syracuse. And obviously no one's ever going to come close to Carolina, but Duke and Syracuse, they played some gems of games. No and kidding. Syracuse sort of had Duke's number for a little bit. Um, I, I think about when I was in college, you know, John Gillen hit that near half court buzzer beater at the Carrier Dome. There were some legendary battles. I was on the call my senior year with my buddy Noah Eagle when Zion, RJ and Cam were ranked number one in mid-January, and Syracuse went into Cameron and beat them. No one expected that to happen. Dude, we sucked that year. <laughs> I, I said that to Noah. Noah was like, do you want to do first half or second half? I'm like, man, I'll do the first half because we suck, and we're going to get crushed today. <laughs> and I, I thought I was going to be right when it was 12 nothing, but then Syracuse came all the way back and won. So it, it's just a great rivalry with so many great moments. And I can tell you, again, I don't think it's the same – in Durham, but in Syracuse, Duke is the one we circle, man. And I know a lot of schools could say that, but I think it's a good rivalry. 
did you think Duke was going to be able to make it as far as they did this year, making it all the way to the Final Four, knowing the pressure that it's Coach Case last year? He says it this time a year ago, and you've got all these recruits coming in great, but also the first time in my lifetime, and I'm a little bit older than you, Drew, so the first <laughs> time in your lifetime, the season prior, we saw Duke not make the NCAA tournament. Like Every year that we were alive, we knew that Duke basketball was going to be playing in the NCAA tournament, and they didn't make it the year prior. Right. Yeah, it's a good question. I think probably not just because of the matchups. Like, they're so talented. I mean, they could have obviously beaten anyone, and they, they could have won the championship, and I don't think anyone would have been shocked. But especially the matchup with Texas Tech in the Sweet 16, yeah. I was like, I thought Duke would get blown out, quite frankly, because they had shown multiple times on the big stage, whether it was Coach K's last game, whether it was in the ACC tournament, there were a couple times when that group just didn't show up. And it, it sort of seemed like it was going to be classic freshman stuff where they weren't ready for the moment. And I thought that combined with the experience of Texas Tech, combined with the fact that I just thought they were way tougher than Duke based on what we had seen for the, the past four months, I thought Texas Tech would blow Duke out and it would be men versus boys. Duke comes out, wins that game. At that point, it's like, all right, they're probably going to the final four. Um, whether or not you believe in the basketball gods, there was some cosmic stuff at work to have Duke and Carolina match up in the Final Four for the first time in K's last year. At that point, it kind of seemed preordained. But, I mean, the talent was always there, and we saw it at, at different points of the season. That team was so loaded, and it's going to be the same thing this year for, for Shire. No kidding. No kidding. I want to get to that. We'll transition to John Shire in just a moment. Again, Drew Carter from ESPN and the ACC Network is joining us here on Locked On Blue Devils. Let me take a quick moment to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar, a proud presenting sponsor of the Locked On Network. You got to know about the new flavor. It's the mud, mud pie flavor. Built Bar sent me it earlier today. I've already tried it. It's outstanding. If you're a chocolate fan, you're going to love this. It's the new mud pie bar. It's enriched whipped cream and cookie and chocolate flavor. 100% real chocolate topped with cookies and cream crumble. It's outstanding. Look, we've got great numbers here for you. 16 grams of protein, only 150 calories, and 8 grams of sugar. It's everything that you're going to love with mud pie bars and puffs available right now at Built.com. They're going fast, so you got to order quickly. And again, once again, like all Built Bars, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. As we welcome you back in here to another edition of Locked On Blue Devils, JJ Jackson alongside Drew Carter. And Drew, we just brought up John Shire a moment ago. Uh, part of your duties, you fill in from time to time with the ACC Network show, Packer and Durham, that can be heard each and every morning. And uh, recently, you guys got a chance to catch up with John Shire. We were all anticipating what Trevor Keel's decision was going to be. You guys were looking for the scoop before <laughs> Trevor made the announcement himself. Uh, but uh, how fun was that to catch up with Shire? It was really cool, JJ. And it was kind of surreal, honestly, to be like, here I am filling in on ACC Network's flagship show. We're talking to the head coach of Duke men's basketball. <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty wild. And He's great. I mean, he's personable. He was sort of doing a, a media tour at the time. I don't really know why. It felt like a little premature for the media tour because he was going to get asked the Trevor Keels question over and over again. 
If you got a chance to watch that interview on Packer and Durham, I did say, hey, if you want to break the news right now, feel free. Because I think that was June 1st or June 2nd that we did that show. So we were at that point past the deadline, but we still didn't know about Keels. He opted not to break the news about Keels. Shocker there. A little disappointed that we didn't get the scoopage. But, yeah, he was great. And you can tell that he he has a head coach temperament. And it it's evident why he's the successor uh, from the moment you turn the light on. He just gets it. He gets it. Even though he's a younger guy, he gets it. And he actually just had his third kid we were talking right. about on the show. Um, and I think that his maturity – is probably more than you would expect from a guy who's a first-time head coach and still young for that position. It was also the day prior to K Academy uh, getting started. And so Duke fans, and myself included, well aware of K Academy. It's our favorite time of year because on social media, you get the posts of these former Duke legends that are now back and kind of welcoming in the new players on campus. As the freshmen come in, here you are, and these NBA legends are walking in to kind of greet you. They're all there for the same reason. I can only imagine the pickup games that take place without us getting to watch them inside the practice facility. But for you guys on a show like that to kind of bring to the forefront what K Academy is for the larger audience within the ACC network, right? These are guys that are 35 years or older that are paying who knows how much money to be involved with this and to truly get the Duke basketball player feeling. Their jerseys are hung up in the rafters. I mean, that was kind of cool for you guys to bring that to the forefront. Totally. And full transparency, JJ, I didn't know anything about K Academy before yeah. we started. I actually asked John on the air. I said, did you say 35 and up? Like, <laughs> did I hear that right? I've never heard of a basketball camp like that. You think basketball camp, it's like 12-year-olds, right? Like kids trying to learn the game. Uh, but it's, it is really cool. I mean, because Duke, you think about the mystique of that program and the massive fan base for – you know, not a huge school. We're not talking about like Texas A&M or a monster state school where you would expect all the alumni to be fans and that's how they have a huge fan base. No, I mean, think about what I just said. I, I grew up in Minnesota as like sort of a Duke fan, just kind of with a random connection to the program. It's really cool that they do that. And I would love, love ACC Network to do a documentary about it. Wes Durham has said that he's floated the idea and so far it has not taken hold. But what would be a better documentary in the ACC than K Academy, yeah. especially in this you know time of transition, right? With Coach K, you know, fading and Shire taking over, I think it'd be amazing to do that documentary. We're not going to change the name. I mean, it's got to be K Academy forever, and 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 this is the perfect time to do that. I will add that Shire did throw a jab your way to remind you that yes, you're not quite eligible <laughs> to uh, to qualify yet. I'm in that same boat. We don't even qualify to no. be a part of K Academy. It instantly made me think, like, Drew, what is our game going to look like at 35 years old? <laughs> you know, we're, we're the kind of the, the, the smaller guys that want to stay a little bit further away, take yeah. pride in the little jump shot we may or may not have. But what is our game going to look like at 35? Well, it'll be physical. I can promise you that. That's what I bring <laughs> to the table. If you draft me for your pickup basketball team, I will be setting borderline illegal screens. <laughs> I will be throwing borderline flagrant elbows on rebounds. That's what I can promise anyone who, who drafts me at the K Academy. But are you going to do it, JJ? Like, is that in the, the cards for you? Are you planning once you turn 35 to go? I think I got to experience it. I mean, I've experienced yeah. almost everything else when it comes to being just a lifelong Duke basketball fan. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's got to be uh, that's got to be in my future for sure. Uh, yeah, it's kind of wild to think I'm getting closer to that. But, 
uh, yeah, still a few years off from that. We should go together and let's do it, man. Dominate. Yeah, let's do it. And <laughs> we got to find it because like they go through a draft process, right? Like you're literally coached by former Duke players uh, that mm. are on the sidelines. And, and uh, so hopefully we're drafted by the same team, man. And then <laughs> just dominating. That could academy. be a, a fun, a fun podcast segment is, you know, drafting the coaches you'd like to play for. at KAC. <laughs> We'll set that up. I like uh-huh. that. I like yeah. that. Drew Carter's here with us on lockdown blue devils today. So we're transitioning to the John Shire era now, and he takes over for coach K who, uh, ever since Kyrie Irving in 2011 has really kind of transitioned into being the guy for the one and done era. Kentucky uh, certainly great in that regard as well. Shire wasted no time whatsoever. And part of it was Coach K's decision to get the successor in place so Duke can continue recruiting. But we've just never heard about this that all of a sudden he's going to walk in with the number one recruiting class in America and then w- wasted no time already. And in 2023, He's got the number one recruiting class as well. He's already sending out five-star offers to sophomores in high school at this point. I mean, he has very quickly gone into the recruiting chase himself. Yeah, it's incredible. And we talked to him about it because that was the number one thing I was curious about with Shire is who was doing the recruiting this past year? Like, was Coach K still involved at all? And my read on his answer was that he really wasn't. Um, And like you said, that's why – that's why Coach K made the announcement. Now, some more cynical people would say maybe Coach K made the announcement so he could get presence at every opposing arena, which I think maybe there's an element of that. But uh, no, it was more so so Shire could take over recruiting and also for the players to know, the incoming freshmen to know what they're getting themselves into. You don't want to commit to Duke and commit to Coach K and then have the rug pulled out from under you and learn that K is retiring. Um, and Shire, and I asked him, you know, who was doing the recruiting? And Shire said, we were. We were doing all of it, him and his staff, which, you know, he's added a couple guys to it, including going outside the brotherhood, which I think was a bit of a shock for yes. Duke fans uh, to add to the coaching staff. But, you know, what he's done, JJ, is incredibly impressive. And I, I think it probably goes to show that Shire was a huge piece of recruiting in the first place. I bet Coach K sort of let Shire take the reins on recruiting a few years ago. Uh, before we knew that he was retiring. Um, and it's not just him. I think this new look Duke staff is going to be a huge boon for them in recruiting. Um, Kay, I think probably by the end was more of a CEO. I don't know how much boots on the ground work he was doing. At this point, the the staff is so young and so energetic with so many guys that, you know, these kids probably can remember playing. Yeah. Like I remember Shire, I remember I won my March Madness pool in the Gordon Hayward half court shot year because of John Shire. Um, Now I'm obviously older than these high schoolers are, but they can probably remember watching John Shire play. Um, And the same goes for a lot of the guys on that staff. So, you know, the recruiting is incredible and they've got some bona fide studs coming in. I was in Springfield, Massachusetts to watch Hoopal Classic. So I got to see Lively and Whitehead. Uh, I know they got a good transfer from Illinois coming in. Like they're not going to miss a beat. Um, And obviously that coaching staff knows how to, how to handle these freshmen because they've been doing it for, like you said, over a decade now. It is awesome to see kind of the staff that he's been able to put together. At first, myself, I, I was hesitant to see somebody go outside the brotherhood just because we're used to Duke guys being on the staff. Like Steve Wojciechowski is no longer the head coach of Marquette. He's the name that a lot of people were like, okay, he'll just come back and help John Shire. He's got a little bit of the head coaching experience. And Shire says, you know what? I was the number one recruiter 
according to 24-7 sports and just looking at the numbers the past three, four seasons. Why don't I go get number two? And he mm -hmm. did that. Like Duke went out. Jay Lucas is on uh, Coach Cal's staff, and he brings him in. I was like, wow, he's, he's really going for it all here, and he's able to put together this amazing staff. That's an alpha move, by the way, because because <laughs> as you said, you know, ever since Kyrie, it's really been Duke and Kentucky for those top one and done guys. Yeah. That is a baller move from Shire to be like, yep, yeah, pluck, Cal, I'll take <laughs> your top guy on the recruiting trail. But it's not just the coaching staff, man. It's the the fact that they got out, they went out and got a GM of the program. Right. Nobody does that. That that's a a visionary type of move when you think about the current state of college hoops, which. A lot of people lament, and I get it. You know, I think there's probably tampering happening and maybe not a whole lot of loyalty, and it's it's just different. You know, overall, I think it's good. The, the transfer portal and NIL stuff and the intersection of the two has made it a little bit confusing for a lot of us laymen, but that's why you go out and you get a GM to help you navigate all this stuff. And I'm sure it's, it's the first of however many D1 programs there are, 350 plus, I'm sure in five years they'll all have GMs. And, and it was a, a really smart move. And I think the foresight that Shire showed there by going out and getting a GM and a really smart one at that um, says a lot about how he's going to manage this program. I can't wait to see what this first year looks like for John Shire as his era of Duke basketball gets started. You've got Mike Elko taking over the football program in year one. Exciting times to be a Blue Devil. We'll talk a little bit more about that and wrap up our show with Drew Carter of the ACC Network and ESPN here in just a moment. Do want to tell you about the Locked On NBA Ultimate Mock Draft Show. It gets started tomorrow. We're eight days away from the NBA draft, and with over 50 insiders, nothing equals the Ultimate NBA Mock Draft. The Locked On NBA Big Board Draft Experts plus the Odyssey Insiders. First pick is June 16th. Search Ultimate NBA Mock Draft and follow now so you don't miss a pick. As we wrap up today's edition of Lockdown Blue Devils alongside Drew Carter from ESPN and the ACC Network, as I said a moment ago, Drew, we're eight days away from the NBA draft. Duke is hoping to get five guys selected in the first round. That's the goal. It's only happened once before in 2010 with Kentucky. So we've got Mark Williams, A.J. Griffin, Paula Bencuro. Those guys are lottery locks. They're going to be okay. We're hoping – that Wendell Moore Jr. and Trevor Keels can sneak in to the end of the first round so that Duke can pull off five first-round guys. And then also happening here is in the basketball world, tomorrow we've got game six coming up. Jason Tatum finds himself down three games to two. But, I mean, Tatum is an absolute superstar, first-team All-NBA. I mean, watching Duke at the next level, that's another thing that I probably know probably bothers Syracuse and some other ACC schools <laughs> that we take such pride in our NBA players. There's just so many of them, and it's something that we enjoy celebrating every year. It's crazy. It's crazy how many there are for a little school in Durham to produce all, <laughs> all those NBA players. I will say this, JJ, about the upcoming draft. My two favorite Duke players from that team were Moore and Williams. I love those guys. Yeah. I mean, they – and to me, they seemed – less like guys who are trying to get to the NBA and more like dudes who really cared about affected win affecting winning. I know I'm sounding incredibly old by saying that. I sound like I could have signed up for the K Academy 20 years ago with how old I sound by that. But, I mean, you know what I mean. Like, these dudes weren't one-and-done guys. Williams, especially, his defensive impact, I think he's going to stick in the league for 15 years. 
you can always use rim protection. And he's so athletic that I think he can defend on the perimeter. And if he develops a jump shot, he's going to be a real factor in the NBA for a long time. And then Moore, I mean, I really thought Moore was their best player last year with how he ran the show. They were they did not have a point guard until Roach really emerged in the tournament. Moore was the guy who was at the controls for the majority of that season. I just loved his game. He can do so many good things for you. He defends his tail off. I just really loved watching him and Williams. So as a Timberwolves fan, I'd like to see them end up with one of those two guys. And I really think that Moore should be a first-round pick, man. Like, yeah. And I'll say the same thing about Baycott when he goes next year. And if he had gone this year from North Carolina, like, if you have a skill like that, if you can grab 15 rebounds a game, you're going to stick, man. We, we see it all the time. If you can defend or rebound or shoot, if you can do one thing at an elite level, you belong in the NBA. Williams can do that. He's a great rim protector. And more, he's a little bit different because he's kind of an all-around player. He can do a bunch of things for you, but he's just a basketball player, man. Yeah. And he affects winning in a, in a really positive way. So I'd love to see one of those two guys end up on my team. Here's the other thing about Wendell Moore. At 6'5", he's got a crazy long wingspan beyond that that makes him such a terrific defender. He improved his three-point percentage by 9% in one season, really took pride in that, knew how important it was going to be at the next level. He's been there three years, and all of a sudden, that's a knock, to which I would then counter and, and want to remind people that, okay, his freshman year he had the epic putback layup at the buzzer in Chapel Hill the COVID-shortened season where we didn't get March Madness. That was when Wendell Moore Jr. emerged on the national stage when he had that game winner. He's only eight months younger than Paulo Banquero. Eight months between Wendell Moore Jr., who's played three seasons of college basketball, and Paulo, who's trying to be a number one overall pick. Yeah. Who cares about man. age? You know? <laughs> right, right. It, it's, it's crazy how much that makes a difference, too, when we're talking about the NBA draft because, you know, a, a senior – who puts up the same numbers as a freshman is probably going to go in the second round as opposed to the lottery. You know what I mean? But I'm with you, dude. I, Wendell Moore, I don't think his age should be held against him. And he, I just think that he's such a good basketball player. Like I really enjoyed watching his game. And I, I do think he was the most important piece for that team. Cause dude. And you know, if I'm going to pump up Moore and Williams, let me be honest and say, I'm not really sold on Ben Caro yet. I kind of watch him and I think about Andrew Wiggins. Now, we're doing this in the middle of the finals after Wiggins just had his best game of his career in game right. five, but it took him a while to get there. And, and the only reason I say that is just because I see guys who aren't always engaged. They kind of float a little bit, one and done. Wiggins at Kansas, Ben Caro at Duke, obviously supremely talented. And if he ends up in the right spot, who knows? Like if Wiggins had gotten drafted to Golden State, maybe we're talking about a perennial all-star. And I'll be the first to tell you that the Timberwolves are a joke of a franchise. They have been for my entire life. So maybe it wasn't all his fault. Um, but I just like to see Bancaro in a system where, you know, he's engaged 100% of the time. Because if he is, he is scary, man. There, there's probably not a more talented guy in this class than him. So because I love you so much as a friend, Drew, let me catch you up to speed and where the Duke community instantly goes when you bring in Andrew Wiggins, right? We've got... Mm -hmm. Tatum, who's obviously now trailing Andrew Wiggins in the NBA final series. But yes. to go back to Wiggins' draft year, which is where people evaluate him, and you've got the Minnesota Timberwolves tie there and that sort of thing. Wiggins went one ahead of Jabari Parker, and clearly that's turned out to be the better decision. But mm -hmm. I just want to remind you that we did have the Wiggins-Jabari mm -hmm. debate 
And yeah. Duke fans were very much on the Team Jabari side of things. Yes, yes. And I hear you. I only make that comp because I just I get flashbacks. I have PTSD of Andrew Wiggins of watching <laughs> yeah. highlights at Kansas after the Wolves traded for him. Like, oh my God, like we're gonna win the championship in three years. This guy's <laughs> he's Maple Jordan, he's the second coming. But I just know from watching a lot of Duke basketball this year that Bancaro wasn't always on like listen, you can't expect everyone to shoot 60%, especially right. when you're taking a bunch of jumpers every game. But there were times where you would forget that Ben Caro was even out there. And that's what I love yeah. about Wendell Moore is he, you know what you're getting from that guy every night. Even if the jumper isn't falling, you know what you're getting from him. Ben Caro, I can't say the same thing about. And you look at the guys who could potentially be drafted ahead of him. Chet Holmgren, he is an enigma. And that dude's polarizing. I mean, I'm not really on board with that, even though he's from Minnesota. I just, I see him getting pushed around a little bit at the next level, but that's not what we're talking about. Really, the guy I want to talk about is Jabari Smith. Because, you know, you've got Auburn ties. I was down there covering them. Jabari Smith, I think you could make the same argument against, is that you never know which version of him you're going to get. But to me, that wasn't his fault. That right. was because the guards at Auburn thought that they were the best players on the floor. And, and they wouldn't get him the basketball. Um, I didn't feel like that was an assertiveness issue with him. Maybe that's not fair for me to say that and, and that it is with Ben Carroll. But that was just my read on the situation. Like, if Ben Carroll wanted to take over, he could have. And a lot of the time he didn't. We will certainly see. As Again, eight days away from the NBA draft, and we'll see where all these guys uh, end up. All right, let's wrap up. Drew Carter here with us from the ACC Network and ESPN. And All right, the next venture for you this summer that's kicking off, that's really excited, PLL, Premier League Lacrosse. But we're going to see way more of those games on television. And Duke loves their men's lacrosse program that John Donowski has built. We're celebrating three national championships in the last – uh, 12 years and, and 10 and 13 and 14 wrongly left out of the NCAA tournament field this year. Uh, but yes. uh, again, you start this PLL adventure and you're going to see many Duke players and Duke connections all across the league, Drew. Oh, yeah, including with Redwoods where Miles Jones, is, <laughs> he's on the right team because he's basically Paul Bunyan with a lacrosse stick, right? <laughs> uh, to steal a line from Anish Shroff at ESPN, we was talking about Sam Hanley at Penn. But Miles Jones, man, 6'5", 250, the guy's ridiculous. And he's got a Duke teammate on the, the team as well with Nakai Montgomery, who, yes. you know, to me, I was in-house for the PLL draft. I just went over to Bristol to watch it because it was such a cool event. And Nakai Montgomery was slipping. I'm like, hey, does anyone want this guy? He played two sports in the ACC. That was so cool that he was on the football team. This yeah. Year. He's athlete, just, man. He's such an athlete. And he's he's well-spoken, too. Like, he did an interview with Quinn Kessnick before his first game in, in the PLL. I had never heard him interviewed before. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, man, this guy's he's an impressive dude. I, I don't know why teams didn't want to draft Nakai Montgomery, and he slipped until uh, the Redwoods could take him. But – it, it's really fun, you know, to see these guys and see how their games change when they move to the professional ranks. Like Miles Jones, you know, this is a very inside lacrosse thing, but people have been saying that, you know, the next step for his game is to be a distributor and improve his passing. He was actually a great passer at Duke, but he has taken it to a new level uh, in the PLL. And it's it's really fun to watch him. I think he might be the best midfielder in professional lacrosse. And on a bigger picture level, just to have the PLL with ESPN where we feel like we can really help it grow and take the next step because professional lacrosse, there hasn't really been a great avenue for these guys to be yeah. full-time pros. 
I think what Paul and Mike Rabel have done with the PLL is really, really neat. Um, and they had their first season, then they had a COVID year, then they had a bubble year. Uh, this is really, I think, when the, the league is going to hit the ground running. The fact that it's on ESPN just, just helps it. Um, and we're obviously huge lacrosse fans. We cover all the college games and you know, we're excited to have it. And so I'm heading to Baltimore and Minneapolis and I just can't wait to get involved, man. I want to be in the mix. What's that like for you to be on the mic? Uh, it's my favorite. Lacrosse is my favorite sport to cover. Uh, I think it's got the best of a bunch of different sports. It's fast paced like hockey. You've got live substitutions. Uh, it's six on six. It's pretty similar to basketball. If you can beat your man one on one, you draw a double team or force the defense in disarray. Uh, there's a lot of baseball from a broadcasting perspective because with the shot clock, which is shorter in PLL, but you still have a lot of a dead time when they're kind of yeah. just passing the ball around trying to set up the offense. You can tell stories like you do in baseball or softball. It's the best sport to call, in my opinion. Plus, you've got like huge moments 20 to 30 times a game with these goals. I mean, if you really want, you can hammer all those goals like they're a goal in soccer, which you're lucky to get one. Right. But in lacrosse, you've got 30 of them. It's just the best. And, you know, to be on the ground floor for PLL is pretty awesome. I would imagine it's a little bit easier to keep up with the ball than it would be a puck. I don't know your yeah. hockey background or anything, but I would imagine from a, the announcer's perspective, a little bit easier for you. Yeah. Plus, guys can actually possess the puck. When you're watching hockey, I don't know how these guys do it. I've, I've called a little hockey. It's so hard. No one has possession for more yeah. than half a second. And all their names are four or five syllables in hockey. Yeah. So it's like, how do I have time? before you? Literally, before I say the guy's name, the puck is in the corner now. He doesn't even have it anymore. <laughs> so Miles Jones is a great name to be saying over yes. and over again. <laughs> yes, he's Drew, such this a was, too. This was a whole lot of fun, man. It's always great to catch up with you. As you mentioned, we've been doing conversations back and forth for a year. It's just the first time we've brought this over to Locked on Blue Devils. Won't be the last. Thanks again for taking time today. Thank you, Triple J. Loved it, man. <laughs> Love you too, brother. That is Drew Carter. He's joining us here on today's edition of Locked on Blue Devils. Follow and subscribe. Watch us on YouTube each and every day. We'll be back with you tomorrow for another exciting edition of Locked on Blue Devils. Thank you and good day.